Amen. Well, open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Hebrews as we remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Hebrews chapter number 1, and we'll finalize this chapter this morning. And going through the different evidences of Christ's superiority. Hebrews chapter number 1. And the main emphasis of the writer is still the superiority of Christ to the angels. Uh, This is just one of the blocks in the building of this monument to the superiority of of Jesus in everything. Uh, If you remember, we're going to be looking at basically the heartbeat of this book being that of Christ being better. He's a better messenger, a better mediator. We saw that there at the beginning of uh, uh, chapter number 1 and uh, a better message. Um, Chapters number 1 through 4, better priesthood. Chapters number 4 through 7, a better covenant. Chapters 8 through 10, a better life. Chapters 11 through 13. And so we'll notice this more as we get into it. But let's read this morning. Uh, And we're going to start in verse number 5 for context. But we'll read through the remainder of this chapter. Being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. I'm sorry, I started in verse 4. Verse number 5. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again... I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his ministers, his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. They shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Bless now our Father the reading of your word. And Father, prick our hearts so that we might be more like you. Help us in this, we pray. It's in your Son's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Again, the emphasis of the book being that of Christ being better than, and we look uh, for the past several weeks now at how He is better than the angels um, and better uh, than the message that was sent of old. Christ is the fulfillment. Uh, we, we have spent a great deal of time doing everything that I can to iron out and to completely solidify in the minds of, uh, of, of the hearers that Christ is not a created being. Jesus was, did not have his start at Bethlehem, nor did he have his start in the days of creation, as some try to teach, that he was the first creation. This is not the case. Jesus Christ is, has always been, and always will be God. That is of utmost importance to understand as we make our way through the remaining portions of this book. Everything builds on the fact that Jesus is who he claimed to be. If Jesus is not God, then everything falls apart. The propitiation, his his atonement for us, it, it, it all falls apart. The incarnation falls apart. Everything about what we believe comes to a screeching halt when we remove the deity of Jesus Christ. But through all of this, I've tried to bring certain questions out and 
and I'm, I know that oftentimes when I, when I pose the question at the beginning and I'm making my way through, the idea is how in the world does this coincide? But I wanted to start with something just to get the creative juices flowing this morning uh, with this question. Uh, can I upset God to the point where he would give up on me? This is one of those questions that many times I think some of us have wondered in our own mind, in our own heart of hearts, and, and have I strayed so far away that God is through with me? And it, it, maybe I'm one of the only ones that has ever wondered this. Maybe I'm the only one in the room that has ever thought, man, I have messed up beyond forgiveness. Uh, but the question that I wanted to put out there is, can I upset God so much that, to where he gives up on me? Now, with that idea in mind, with that question being posed, let's make our way through this passage. We're going to pick up in verse number 10. Uh, it's where we left off in verse, we finished in verse number 9 last week. Let's pick up in verse 10 and let's make our way down through just a little bit uh, because here the writer sets the relationship that Jesus has to the universe. It's, uh, it's interesting. You must remember that the angels' relationship to, uh, uh, to the universe is to carry out the word of God. As we looked at it last week, God says, I want this done. They do it. They serve him. They are his, his ever-present servants and willing servants. Now, we do understand, based on what the word of God tells us and teaches, that there was a, 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 an exodus, so to speak, uh, a group of angels decided to follow Lucifer out, and uh, Lucifer had a desire in his heart uh, to be elevated and to be worshipped like God, and God could not have that in his midst. And we're taught <coughs> that, uh, um, uh, that a third of the angels followed him and went with him. And so realizing that any angel that does not fulfill what his created intent was, which was to serve God and him alone, then that angel is outside of the will of God. Now that's important for us to grasp because there's a lot of people today uh, that will try to get you to understand or to think along the lines that, uh, that they have angels speaking to them and giving them a new revelation. And uh, we find, uh, for example, the start of uh, Islam being a certain angel coming and speaking for God to uh, Muhammad and that he gives to him all these revelations. Well, I'm sorry to say, but when something goes against what God says and against what God's word proclaims, then that cannot be a voice from the one true God. God by way of a, an angel of light. It cannot be. Uh, so you have oftentimes in today's, in modern days, uh, you have people proclaiming themselves as modern day prophets, getting a word from the Lord and, and uh, getting a vision and angels speaking to them. I'm here to tell you, if it doesn't match what we already have in the word of God, that is a false message. And if there truly is something bringing this message to the individual, it is not a messenger of God, not an angel of light, but that of darkness. This is something that people dabble with and they don't, they don't really understand the, 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 uh, uh, the importance of realizing where that message came from. If it does not come from God, it comes from the pits of hell and we need to shun it and back away from it. We've got to be understanding that anything that flies in the face of thus says the Lord, anything that goes against what his word tells us, we want to move away from. We need to back up as quick as we can possibly move. And it's like I, was, I remember when I was a kid, I wanted to learn how to fight. And my, one of my dad's buddies was there with me and he said, man, I'll teach you the best fighting move you've ever learned in your life. He says, you learn this fighting move and you'll never have to worry about a, winning a fight ever again. He says, are you ready? And of course, here I am, a kid. I'm like, hot dog. He's going to teach me how to kill somebody with a pinky. This is going to be awesome. And he says, get ready. He says, square up. And I squared up. And he says, get that left hand a little bit higher. So I get that left hand higher. He says, put that right hand close to your face. I put it there. He says, now I'm going to show you how you do this move. Watch closely. He took off running, and I said, well, that's not a fight. He says, you learn how to do that, you'll never lose a fight. 
this is the way we ought to treat heresy. Get away from it as quick as you can possibly do. When you hear something, you're going, I thought the Bible said, once you get to that place and you're saying, well, I thought the Bible said this, but they're telling me something different. I thought the Bible said that Jesus was God, but you're telling me he was a created being? And time out. Run. Now, there does come a time, and before anybody comes up to me after church and says, well, hell, Brother Andy, I'm holier than that. Praise the Lord for you. But some of us aren't. And I would much rather tell the strong individual to back up than to tell the weaker one to charge forward. We need to be aware of what's out there. We need to be aware that there are demonic forces in play trying to trip up and teach those of us who claim to be children of God heresy because there's nothing more effective than something that is just a little close to the truth but enough away from it to mess people up and send them straight to a burning hell. And I'm here to tell you, I believe in a literal place called hell and I don't want anyone going there. I want you to see and remember the angel's relationship to the Word of God in his creation. We looked at that last week. The angels obey the Word of God. He then ends this portion with a focus on the sovereignty and rule of the Son of God and in view of the role of the angels. Notice with me verse number 10. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. I like to insert those little Bible study uh, uh, notes. You see the very first word in your, in your Bible there, the very first word in verse number 10. Say it with me, class, on the count of three. One, two, three. That's right, and, and. In other words, based on what we just read. This chi, this and, uh, begins verse 10 referring to verse 8 where it says, to the Son, he says. This is yet another statement from God about the Son, about God. We find this statement that we're getting ready to read back in Psalm chapter 102. If you want to keep your hand here in the book of Hebrews, put, it to a, put your ribbon or a, a bookmark or something, go back to Psalm 102. Look at Psalm 102 and drop down to verse number 25. And we'll read through the fulfillment of this psalm. Verse 25 of Psalm 102 reads this way. Of old hast thou laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure, yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, as a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. The children of thy servants shall continue, and their seed shall be established before thee. Notice what is being told to us here in this psalm. Uh, this uh, we're going to break it up because the, the finalization of chapter number one in the book of Hebrews can be seen in four different points, maybe five, uh, but four basic. The first three are in this section. The last one we'll pick up uh, at, the, uh, uh, at the conclusion of the chapter. But the first part that we want to notice in, in this verse is uh, him being the creator, 
Notice what it says there in Psalm 102, verse 25. Of old thou hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. Now, if you remember from back in chapter 2, or back in verse 2 of chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews, we looked at Christ being the creator. We looked at him being the sustainer as well. And this lets us, this lends to us the idea that Jesus Christ himself was involved in the act of creation. We notice this back there, uh, through whom, where it says, through whom he made the worlds. And now the writer references an Old Testament passage found in the Psalms about the eternality of God. It's important for us to understand that long before the creation ever came into existence, long before the creation was ever made, God existed. The creator was there first. Now we see things like in the beginning and in our minds we get like at the beginning of the race. You know, we have a, a, a big long race and you've got the starting line and then you've got the finish line. In the beginning, God. And we think to ourselves, oh, so God started there. No, long before. Just as the artist existed long before the artwork ever exists. Leonardo da Vinci came around long before he started painting. The sculptor existed before the sculpture. The creator existed before the creation. He existed not only before what he made, he existed before when he made it. Get that one. Wrap your mind around that for a minute. He existed long before where he made it. He brought all three, time, space, and matter, into existence at the same moment. In the beginning, God spoke. He said, let there be light. I've made this statement before, but it bears repeating. I was talking with the, uh, the children's workers this morning. Think about this for just a moment. God spoke two of the most powerful words in Scripture, two of the most powerful words in existence put together at one moment. God spoke. Think about that. The Creator some people follow Donald Trump and, and other people on Twitter and they think to themselves, man, he never responds to my messages. I private message him all the time. Oh, poor me. We, people follow their favorite uh, actor or their favorite singer on, on Facebook. <laughs> I'm friends with so-and-so. Just because you're friends on Facebook? Do they even know your name? Uh-huh. They read it once. God spoke. People spend more time finding out what so-and-so said on Twitter, Facebook, or stupid book, whatever you want to call it. I don't know what you're following these days. But they, they have to, oh, we got to read this. We got to read that. We got to read this. Did you see what so-and-so said? Did you see what so-and-so said? Have you read what the president made a comment of recently? Have you read what so-and-so on Fox News or on CNN? Have you read what uh, uh, what Barry Sanders is doing today? I don't know what Barry's. I don't know. Is he still alive? I don't know. Have you read what so-and-so's going on? Have you read what this, this person said? What this actress made the comment of? Did you know that so-and-so made this statement? Did you know that they're... I don't care! Did you know what God said? He spoke. Are we listening? God spoke in many different ways at many different times through the prophets. You think about that for a minute? We read Jeremiah or Isaiah. We read about Elijah and he's proclaiming and nobody is listening to them. And we go, oh, how foolish. The people of Israel were not listening to Jeremiah. And he's running around in his underwear that he'd buried for a month and he's, he says, hey, pay attention. And nobody's listening to him. He only had part of the message. You and I have the entire thing and we don't listen. He had a portion of it. We have every word that man is capable of receiving by God. How dare we look down our nose at the people in Jeremiah's day? How dare we look down our nose at the people in Ezekiel's day? When we ourselves won't pick up the completed word of God 
and spend just a few minutes finding out what he said. God spoke. What has he said to you recently? Have you heard from him lately? Getting back into the eternality of God, you'll remember from back when we were doing our Christmas study in Micah chapter 5 verse 2, it testified of the ruler out of Bethlehem uh, would be one from old or ancient days. Uh, or uh, basically stating this, God did not have a beginning. They, don't have, they didn't have a word to explain that. They just said he's from old of ancient days. Here in 102 it says, Of old thou hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. Uh, It says uh, in verse number 27, But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. This speaks to how eternal God is. He has always existed and always will be. The master builder who laid the foundation... You know, the heavens and the earth have not always existed. We need to understand that. But we think for some reason that this world is never going to disappear. There's coming a day it will. Let's pause there. We'll come back to that. Let's look at the second thing that we find here. It says, there is a view a hint at least, of the future new heaven and new earth. You see there in Psalm uh, uh, 102 verse 26, says, They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old, and like a garment as a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. There's a glimpse uh, almost of the new heaven and the new earth coming one day. It says that he laid the foundation which indicates that he did not take pre-existing material and reshape it. Rather he created ex nihilo out of nothing. This is the difference between a remodel job and starting with nothing and a new build. But I want you to notice something else that's taking place with this. If you'd look with me at 2 Peter chapter number 3. 2 Peter chapter number 3 over in the New Testament toward the end. Shortly after you go past the book of Hebrews, you'll find 2 Peter. You'll find James after Hebrews and then the two books from the Apostle Peter. 2 Peter. Look at chapter number 3 with me. And uh, uh, start, start this in verse number 3. Uh, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Whereby the world that, uh, that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with the great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then... That all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be 
in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening uh, unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Pause for station identification. Do you see what Peter's trying to teach us here? Everything that you see will be gone. Why is it that we hold so tightly and work so hard to further what we see here on earth? He says, why are you so wrapped up in the things of this world? This is going to be gone one day. Invest in the eternal. That which you and I look forward to. One day we will not be around this place anymore. It will be gone. It will be destroyed. There's going to be a new heaven. There's going to be a new earth. And we're going to live there. We're going to have our, our, our time there with Him forever. We're going to be able to be with God for eternity. Why are we so worried about amassing wealth and riches and things? things of this world when what we should be focused on. You remember what he said? He says, verse 14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace. Go back just a little bit more. He says, uh, verse number 7, But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of the ungodly. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. That a day is with the Lord a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. In other words, we may be working so hard to amass some stuff that might only last you a day at best. He says, focus on the things of tomorrow, on the things that are important Verse 11, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be? In all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day. Uh, catch this. He says, if everything's going to be dissolved, everything's going to be burnt up that is worldly, why wouldn't you chase after that which is eternal. Well, I want to make sure that my kids are happy and that they've got every opportunity that they need. What about spiritually? Do we pursue for our children, for our grandchildren, for ourselves, for our spouses, do we pursue as hard and as diligently the things of God and the things that are going to matter for eternity as we do the things of this world? God is eternal. He has no beginning. We'll have no end. But what we have here in this world is not. And one day it's all going to be gone. I heard a parent one time tell me, he said, I just want to make sure that my son, that he has everything that I can give him in this life. And she was trying to defend her position on not being around the things of God and being more around the things of this world. She wanted to make sure that she was working long and hard enough. And I, I just looked at her and I said, Dear lady, do you not understand what's important to him? Because what was important to him was not whether he got the next PS58 or whatever's coming out. He was in the house of God. He was pursuing righteousness 
He was, he was in his Bible regularly. The thing that he wanted more than the next video game that his mother was trying to buy him, he would have just died and gone to heaven if she would simply go to church and read the Bible with him. But she was more concerned with the things of this world. Let's take a look at the next thing. The first two being that of the eternality of God, then the next being the ever-changing creation. Third, look with me if you would at the never-changing Savior. Remembering that all this world will one day come to an end, only what is done for eternity will last. Jones says of this passage, talking about Christ, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Notice there in chapter number 1 of the book of Hebrews. They, verse 11, They shall perish, but thou remainest. They shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Christ is the same in being and character. He is the same in will and in purpose. With Him there is no variableness of, of, uh, or shadow of turning. We see that in James chapter 1, verse 17. He has the same in knowledge and understanding of His infinite understanding. He knows all things. He has the same. He is the same as He was yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is the same in counsel and of being. Go to chapter six of the book of Hebrews, chapter number six. Look what it says. This is a promise of God. We'll get into this deeper when we get to chapter 6. Look at verse 13. For when God made promises to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath, be, uh, an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel. In other words, the unchangeableness of His counsel. Confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things, two unchangeable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we have, might have a strong consolation uh, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. He cannot lie. He swore by things that are unchangeable. He himself is immutable. He is of the same mind and the same affection. We see in Isaiah 54.10 and John 13.1. Now, what's so great about the fact that God doesn't change? I'm so glad you asked. This ought to be the most energizing thing you have ever learned. God doesn't change. Why should that be energizing, preacher? What could be better to inspire us to trust Him than to know that He won't change? It's, it's one thing, you know, as a, uh, I've, I've been known to tease my grandmother from time to time over whether things are spicy or not. My mother has bitten into some spicy things before and she has a very mild palate because I simply said, not bad. And so, yes, I am apologizing for those times where your pastor has lied but I just got to say, it was funny. 
There's nothing quite as humorous as watching somebody. I'm, this is the, I'm sorry, I may have an Adamic nature. You've got it too. You do the same kind of stuff. So before you look at me like a bunch of pious gas bags, how dare you tease and trick someone? You've done it. You bite into some hot red pepper sauce in the, you know, in the back. You got a little bit of tear starting to trickle down. <laughs> you just suck that tear back in so nobody notices, so they have to bite into it too. Yeah, yeah, you know what it's like. You stifle that. <laughs> <coughs> you know, you stifle that because you want the next person to have to enjoy it, right? You know what it's like. Kind of like when you're driving down the road and you smell something funky and you just don't say anything because you want the other person to have to smell it too. They don't, you don't. I was talking about a skunk. I don't know what you all were talking about. I have no idea where I was going with that. Give me a minute. Oh, okay. So... <laughs> I had to think for a sec. Okay, so here, here I'm now sitting in front of my family, and I'm, I'm, I've made uh, falafel, and I'm putting it out, and, and Mom says, is it spicy? And I say, no. And then she looks at my wife, and she says, is it spicy? Why? Because she knows <laughs> that it might be spicy, and her son's going to say no, just to get a kick out of watching her bite into something spicy, but she knows my wife's going to tell her, yes, Sherry, or no, Sherry, it's, it's not spicy. Why? Because I change. And sometimes it's difficult to trust what we know changes. He doesn't change. So when he says forgiven, you can take it to the bank. He doesn't change. When he stamps you justified, you can take it permanently. Understand the idea that is being given to us here that God is immutable. His counsel is immutable. It does not change. So when I pick up his book and I read, Thus saith the Lord, I can be guaranteed that if he said it 2,000 years ago, it still holds true today. And I can trust anything he has to say. Anything. I can trust every part of his word from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation. I can trust it because I know he doesn't change. And when he says, what sin? (laughs) I have cast them as far as the east is to the west. I can trust that God is not standing there dangling the sins of my past in front of me saying, but wait a minute, you remember this? Do you remember doing this? No. He said, forgiven. And he meant it. The same God that delivered the drunk Noah or the adulterer David or the whining Jeremiah or the foolish Samson or the coward Gideon or the selfish Jonah can and will deliver you too. I love the stories in the Old Testament. Were these guys messed up royally? I love it. You like that part? Yes, because it helps me know that when I mess up royally, (laughs) I got a God that is just like theirs and is willing to forgive and eager to forgive. The never-changing God is faithful. Faithful. Don't fear. This is what it ought to help you understand. Don't fear failing. You come to Him, you will not live a perfect life from that moment on. I'm here to tell you. You come to Christ, you decide, as of me, for this moment and the rest of my life, I'm going to follow Jesus. I want you to understand, from that moment on, you will not live a perfect life. You won't. But that shouldn't keep me from trying to please Him, 
to honor him. The fact that he is willing to forgive and the fact that he is ready to forgive and the fact that he doesn't change his mind and go, you know what, I thought I was going to justify you, but I changed my mind. You're not justified anymore. I don't have to worry about that portion of it. It makes me fall in love with him more and more and it drives me to want to do more and more for him. I'm not going to stand off to the side and just weep and wonder, oh, I don't know, I don't know if things are going to work out or not. I just may as well not even try well, I'm not going to be perfect, so I'm just not even going to try to be perfect. I'm just going to, I'm going to go over here and eat worms. A couple of you know that song. Realize he doesn't change. And it's just like the father when his child does something wrong. And maybe through tears comes to daddy daddy I messed up the loving father will still love he's not going to stop being that child's father he still loves I can go to God Claiming 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Last, look at the sovereignty and service that we find here. It's when I do not see God as never changing loving that I try to hide from Him. I just stay as I am. But notice here in Hebrews chapter number 1, verse 13. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies a foot, thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? You know, we looked at this earlier in this chapter how Christ is seated at the right hand, verse number 3, at the right hand of the majesty on high. And I made reference to it. And we look and we think, well, is there ever coming a day where all of this bad stuff will come to an end? Yes, Well, when is God going to rule and reign? Know this. He is already seated on the throne. Already. And just as we read a moment ago, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. You and I think it's been 2,000 years since Christ. When's He going to do anything? To Him? That was just Friday. just a couple days ago. It's kind of like the young man that read that verse one time and was praying. He said, Lord, since a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years, does that carry over a thousand dollars is like a penny? Can I have a penny? God said, yep, tomorrow. Realize something. We sit around and we wonder how long. Just a few moments to God's timetable has passed by. And He is right now seated high and lifted up on the throne of God. And His Father is saying, just sit there for a little bit until I make your enemies your footstool. Realize that there are enemies of God. He has enemies. Realize this, but be of good cheer. Christ is now on the throne awaiting the day that His enemies are brought low. But we also see how the angels are servants. The word that is used there in verse number 14, are they not all ministering spirits? 
brings the same idea as deacon, as diakonoi, the diakonoi of God. But I want you to notice that these are the diakonoi, or servants, ministering spirits of God, not of men. Paul's for station identification. I didn't say they don't minister to men. But they are His ministering spirits, not yours. Come in contact many times where people call down and command the angels of God to take care of certain things. Oh, easy greasy. They serve God by ministering to His. Sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. Do you know that the very angels of God minister on your behalf? I've often wondered, anytime God is being praised, Satan, he doesn't like it. He's jealous. And I've often wondered if we, like Elisha's servant, could have our eyes open for just a moment. Would we see battles going on around this building? Could there be a couple angels dressed in armor defending the unsaved individual who is trying to hear from God that day? Could there be a battle-dressed angel keeping yourself and your ears from being stopped this morning? Ministering for you on your behalf so that the Word of God can enter your mind, infect your heart, and make you what He desires you to be. They serve God by ministering to us. This is not about our obeying our every whim, but helping us in our spiritual walk, comforting, revealing, encouraging. So back to the original question. Can I upset God to the point where He would give up on me? If God never changes, and He said of you, redeem, justified you tell me trust the God of the Bible get that trust in the God of the Bible no other collection of holy books is like the word of God no contradiction. It proves itself. It has, it has stood the test of time. For 2,000 years, some 2,000 years, we have been able to get into the Word of God and know the heart of God. We can stand on it. Trust this God. Wake up to the reality of angels. Wake up to their influence, both the good and the bad. Realize that both of them are at work. And then finally, rest in the reality that God is immutable. Determine now, because of that fact, to live your life. Let that truth inspire you to live your life completely devoted to bringing glory and honor to Him. So you're telling me I don't have to be afraid of him? No. He's not looking for an opportunity to punish me? No. He's looking for an opportunity to bless you. He's looking for an opportunity to raise you up above yourself. Just follow him. Rest in this reality. Now there's many that will take this and they'll say, Oh, whew, good. I'm glad. I don't have, there's nothing that will make God upset with me. Oh, 
I'm glad of that. I guess I can just continue to sit and continue to live in my sin. No. Because if that's your attitude, you have not seen the love of God. But Pastor, you told me that there's nothing that I can do that changes Him and there's nothing that I can do that will make Him not like me anymore. But have you truly fallen in love and decided to follow Him? If that's the attitude that we have, we've got to examine whether we decided we're going to follow Him or not. Let it be something that spurs you along to life and godliness. Not something that makes you want to just continue to live. Ah, he doesn't care. Ah, he still loves me. Ah, it's not a big deal. Because then the question is not, does he love me? But do I love him? Jesus said it this way, if you love me, keep my commandments. Determine now to give Him every part of you and to live a life bringing glory to this never-changing God. Sweet Jesus, we bow before You this morning recognizing who You are. That You are God. And I'm so thankful that you are and that you are a reward to those that diligently seek you. But Father, we have to diligently seek you so that you're able then to pour out the rewards. Father, there may be some here today that they simply do not know you as their Savior. Maybe they've been letting some idea of a vindictive God keeping them from coming to know you. Father, what I pray is that you would stir in their heart this morning. That they would come to, uh, to grips with the truth that you don't change. We do. But you don't. And so, Father, the only person that we can trust in is the one who is immutable. Because nothing else is trustworthy. Father, I pray for those this morning who might be here not realizing that they're not saved. Father, they may be thinking themselves a child of God and all the while they don't know you truly. I pray, Father, that you would remove the blinders this morning. That you would remove from them anything that is keeping them from seeing their heart the way it truly is. Father, for those of us who are here this morning, maybe we've just been struggling. Maybe some here today have been having just a difficult time moving beyond something that you said was forgiven. Father, I pray that you would help them to let that go and to live a life revealing the justification of God. We pray these things in your Son's name, for His sake. Amen.